This is Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day, and welcome to episode 151 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, it's my pleasure to host Milan Chitgupkar, co-founder and chief analytics officer of Modak Analytics, a modern data ops company enabling Fortune 100 companies in their digital transformation. Milland is the world-recognized expert in designing, developing, and operationalizing some of the largest data platforms, including the Indian elections where Modak team processed over 650 million voters. For the past 25 years, he has been leading numerous global Fortune 100 companies in their data-driven business excellence journeys, providing thought leadership, solutions, and delivery excellence across business strategy, analytics, and modern data platforms. Milland has six patents in data management and analytics and is part of the guest faculty at the Indian School of Business in Hyderabad, India. Milland, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Thanks, Ken. Happy to be here. And first of all, congratulations on completing 150 podcasts. Yes, uh, I guess you're, I, I, I inferred online that uh, you know the, that the uh, lineup was going to be even better, and uh, so you're the first to kick that off. And so, uh, congrats to yourself for uh, for being in that you know in the lead position there. Thank um, you. Obviously, very fascinated with your with your uh, journey, and uh, and especially the uh, concept that we'll talk a little bit about the new data revolution. But first, I always like to start this off. You know, understanding one's digital thread, in other words, the the one or more thematic threads that define a digital industry journey. So what would you consider to be your digital thread? Uh, first of all, Ken, that's a very interesting question uh, because that's uh, asking me to go back and kind of figure out uh, what my digital thread is. Uh, so I'll start with my journey and then kind of talk about uh, what my uh, digital thread is. Uh, so looking back, uh, my journey started about uh, 23 years back. And um, I, I think I'm one of the very lucky ones uh, who is uh, continuing with the passion which I started about um, almost 30 years back. Um, so I wanted always to be in computer science. Um, so what I did is I went ahead and uh, completed my bachelor's in computer science in India. And then I moved to US for my master's in computer science. And uh, I was very lucky to get an internship opportunity during my master's at uh, Microsoft. And then I again got an incredible opportunity to intern at uh, IBM's uh, TJ Watson uh, Research Center. And while interning at IBM uh, Research, um, I was given an incredible opportunity uh, to go and solve a business problem for uh, IBM's consulting arm. And they were building a one of the largest data warehouse in its time, and I'm talking about 1998, um, for one of the largest uh, insurance companies in the world. And here, a 
just an intern going there, uh, awed by the whole uh, consulting world and helping them try to solve some of the problem because uh, the research felt that I was good enough to go and uh, do it for them. And that started my whole uh, data journey. I was incredibly fascinated by the world of data and what we were trying to do there at that uh, insurance company. Um, going back in 1998, uh, we were attempting to build one of the largest data warehouse at this time. And around, uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, right now 18 terabytes sounds uh, a puny amount of data. But back then, um, our data drives uh, came in two semi-trucks. And then we assembled that whole warehouse on IBM platform and then uh, uh, started to collate all that data, bring it to a place and started churning insights. And the insights were to help um, that company uh, market uh, better. Um, so if you ask me uh, what has been my uh, data journey or digital journey, um, I guess uh, my digital journey has been building data platforms at scale and then turning uh, data into an asset uh, for some of the largest enterprises across the globe. Um, I was fortunate enough to work um, on multiple continents. So I worked obviously in North America, I worked in Asia, and then I spent significant amount of time in uh, South America. So observing this cultures and then uh, how things get done and uh, leading large team across different continents um, was uh, um, what I would call my um, digital journey. And luckily enough, um, I'm continuing that passion. Uh, so even after 23 years, I am still passionate about building large scale, uh, petabyte scale, in fact, uh, data platforms now. And I'm very, very happy that I am able to accelerate that process for enterprises and our customers where we are rapidly delivering value uh, from that data. And the other thing I would point out, uh, given where we are right now, is that if you are in the data domain, um, I would right now state that uh, we are in the golden age of the data. And we are in midst of what I call new data revolution that is slowly transforming our lives. Um, and that's what uh, this journey has been. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this continued journey in this uh, space. It's uh, interesting. So you spent, uh, coming from an internship position, 15 years uh, at IBM and uh, ultimately co-leading their business analytics and optimization practice. Uh, and you mentioned already a lot of the breadth of experience in terms of countries, uh, you know, clients, uh, use cases, et cetera. Well, let me ask, anytime somebody's had that many years in one place, I always have mentioned, what were some of the key trends, you know, that you observed uh, across that time while there, and, and relative, of course, to this new data revolution? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and my, means, uh, my professional career at uh, IBM was extremely rewarding for me. Um, I joined as an intern, as I stated earlier. I went on to become a consultant, and then I eventually became a leader managing large team. And in that whole process, I got to work with some incredibly great colleagues um, uh, who, have, who have probably molded me into what I am today. So I always honor that and respect uh, those colleagues and uh, who have become lifelong friends now. And uh, another thing is, since I worked in the uh, 
consulting arm of IBM. It always provided me a unique outsider perspective while I was working with uh, our clients and uh, how their processes work, what makes them tick, um, what are the different business problems each one of them, uh, each one of the companies in trying to solve. And um, if I continue go back a little bit. Um, right now, the world is what I call caught up in the hype of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, rightly so, uh, because it is uh, so incredibly uh, fascinating. Uh, but in 1998, when I was working um, for one of the largest insurance company and I joined IBM, I, I was very fortunate to work with some of the brilliant mathematicians from IBM labs uh, who were hand coding the neural net algorithms to kind of uh, work on how uh, to optimize marketing. Uh, so it was very, very fascinating for a, a 21, 22-year-old to be exposed to that. And then uh, from there, uh, in 2005, um, I was asked to join as a founder member in uh, Center for Business Optimization, which was IBM's initial foray into uh, predictive analytics and machine learning. Um, and then that eventually evolved and merged into what was known as business analytics and optimization uh, practice. And this group was very close-knit. Uh, it was a 15-member uh, founding uh, team. So I have literally seen uh, from my perspective how the evolution of what we term analytics and optimization has happened uh, during that time frame from 2005. And I had a front, front row seat for that uh, uh, transformation. And when I started my career, um, the the problems were defined as data warehousing and data marts, and then eventually they were called as business uh, intelligence, and then the term became uh, analytics, and then uh, soon it became advanced analytics, then uh, then it became master data management, and then suddenly it became uh, customer 360, and then uh, obviously we got into the uh, big data world, and then right now it is termed as machine learning and artificial intelligence. But if you look at what, uh, what, uh, or what I feel fundamentally is that we are trying to solve the same problem, uh, which is um, you are gathering the data, you are managing the data, and then you're processing that data to um, gain valuable business insight. And whatever the term we use, it's the old wine in the new bottle and uh, it, we are doing repeating the same thing. And what I see in that whole journey is around 2007, um, business leaders started um, becoming very serious about data. And there is a multitude of reasons for that. Uh, one is they wanted to gain the competitive edge in the internet era. So uh, businesses started uh, shifting from brick and mortars to this uh, complex connected um, world where there were different touch points and they were diluted with data coming from these touch points, uh, whether it's uh, uh, internet portals or apps or whatever that is. So they became very serious about investing in uh, a data asset. And then the financial crisis happened and that actually accelerated the change uh, where uh, data was seen as one of the driving factors. And there were uh, multiple changes associated with that. So because of these data sources popping up, um, they, they were looking at like, um, um, how do we leverage this data or how do we manage this data and uh, struggling with, in fact, the dilution of data, right? 
and then suddenly the world caught up in this hype of uh, big data and the primary trend i saw while sitting having that front row seat is the term i call as centralization of data so what happened is organizations decided that they're going to put all their data at one place and then give access to their uh, um, data scientist and they then thought that this will accelerate the uh, decisioning bracing process or accelerate the mining of information from the uh, data but what they failed to realize that the problems were not solved the problems were basically how do i identify valuable data in the company how do i trust my data how do i know what my data lineage is uh, so the problems were similar and they were most of these endeavors uh, if you look, go back and look uh, and uh, search on this there are about thousands of article which state that 70 to 80% of this big data projects or these projects uh, uh, fail uh, because they are incredibly hard to build and uh, leverage them and another thing which people probably don't uh, realize is that only 5 to 10% of the data generated by a business is actually useful and that 90% of that data is uh, artifact generated from their applications and business processes uh, which is not as useful right so how do you get to that 5% of data identify it and then uh, figure that out so the way the if i look back in like um, uh, my ibm days uh, the central theme was centralization of this data and uh, we were not hugely successful at that uh, if i might say so you uh, co-founded modec analytics in 2013 with uh, rd joshi also an accomplished data analytics leader uh, perhaps you've already spoken to the, uh, the the problem set a moment ago but what problem did you set out to solve and for whom so when I decided to um, quit IBM, and that was an incredibly hard decision coming from, like, I didn't have any entrepreneurship background or uh, my family was not into business. Um, everybody was employed and uh, and especially given my Indian background, everybody was like scolding me that you're doing so well. Uh, why are you now quitting and starting this uh, new enterprise? Do you really need it? <laughs> Your life is all good. Uh, but I did make that decision. And the reason I made it is I wanted to fundamentally make a difference of how we um, perceive data and um, what can I bring to the table uh, based on my 15 years of experience at um, IBM. And at, during that time, one of the things uh, we started noticing um, is that companies were hiring um, CDOs and they were, uh, and those CDOs were tasked with building out uh, data capabilities for these um, uh, companies. And one of the things we noticed uh, there is the failure rate, right? Um, they were trying to build these data play, um, platforms and they were failing very often. And the opportunity we saw was that um, we could significantly reduce the time it takes for organization to build those data platform and actually derive value out of them. And if I might expand on that a little bit, um, if you see, there is a three-step process for turning data into an asset. And the first step is you start gathering the data. Then next step, you start managing that data. And the third step is you actually start processing that data to 
what I call into knowledge. And then the data scientists then pick up that knowledge and turn that into meaningful business insight. So this is how the process works. But as simply as I stated, this journey of turning that data into an asset is incredibly hard. And the reason why it is incredibly hard is that it takes so much time for organizations to build those data platforms. And then finally, um, uh, implement a business use case where they are asking those questions. Generally, what used to happen is that, and this is based on my experience, is the businesses at, at any given point of time have questions and the way the business are evolving, within six months or a year, those questions change. And what questions I asked about a year back or one and a half years back are no longer valid uh, because they have probably done some gut feeling and went ahead with some decisioning. Um, so the, the, the reason was that it is incredibly important for enterprises to quickly answer those questions using the data. And that's where we set out to um, uh, build it. And what we did is uh, we thought that we could build a what I call a modern data platform and accelerate the time to value by five to 10x. And the way we set out to, uh, to do that at Modac was adopt a different strategy uh, than, let's say, other service providers. Uh, so at Modac, apart from having a talented team of uh, people, um, we also have invested heavily in developing uh, products and accelerators uh, to achieve that uh, time to value. And what we have right now is we have created a product called Nabu. Uh, which is a full-fledged solution uh, in production at some of the largest uh, organizations in the world. And Nabu was built ground up uh, to solve this problem. And it was built up in this cloud era um, and along with different customers. And that is a kind of differentiating for that. So we knew the customer problems. We were working with the customers. And then we started building this product along with them uh, to solve uh, the problem of like, how do we accelerate that? Uh, the good news is uh, we won accolades for our um, NABU. Uh, it was also mentioned by Gartner. And to, probably I should simplify this a bit. And the analogy I will probably give you to help uh, the uh, audience understand what I mean by this acceleration. So let's take the analogy of uh, home-cooked gourmet meal. And what happens there is, uh, if you want, if I want to build a, uh, let's say I want to uh, uh, cook a gourmet meal, what I do is I create a ingredient list. I go to the grocery store because I probably don't have all the ingredients in my refrigerator, and then I shop that. Then come home, and then what I'm doing is I'm uh, prepping my meats, cutting my vegetables, and then I'll probably cook two or three sauces to go along with the meal, and then finally assemble that meal and then uh, visually dress up that meal so that I can present it to my family and friends. And then we all enjoy that meal with a glass of wine. And that's what exactly is done by enterprises when they deal with uh, uh, finding uh, uh, data or trying to convert data into an asset. They follow this uh, gourmet meal approach where they're building every time they're going and building this. Now, what we are trying to do is make that into a commercial kitchen or a restaurant. And in the restaurant, the ingredients are pretty much delivered to your doorstep every day. Uh, you take the meats, you take the veggies, you prep them, 
you pre-cook your sauces. And when the restaurant service starts, uh, you're building these uh, uh, known recipes uh, within 15 minutes and delivering that to your customer who is incredibly happy. So what we are trying to do uh, with Nabu is kind of uh, accelerate the data operations in a company uh, from the gourmet meal approach uh, to the commercial uh, kitchen approach. And uh, if I might point out, I'll give you an example. In a, our recent work with one of the largest pharma companies of the globe, uh, we were able to put up a modern data platform in under 12 weeks, and we brought in data of 150,000 data sets across the organization. We profiled that data and made that available to the data scientist. And this was done in 12 weeks. And immediately after that 12-week period, now that we have our commercial kitchen approach, we started working in parallel on eight different business use cases. And then we have uh, delivered value to, um, uh, to the, our, our client. And if you talk to anyone in the data industry, uh, what I would say is this is a, like a massive, massive acceleration versus doing the traditional uh, way. And uh, that, that's probably why I started uh, or co-founded Modak, and it's been a very, very fulfilling experience. Yes, it, it sounds like it has, and I love your analogy of the uh, commercial kitchen. Uh, I might even go so far as call you the fast food of data ops, but I, I'm not sure that would have uh, just <laughs> positive connotation. So, but but uh, I understand you guys are already over 350 people at Modex, so quite a quite a, a journey already, uh, and uh, that uh, at least lately, as we were talking about e-health um, applications, is driving much of that recent growth. What uh, what healthcare sectors are you focused on, and what are some of the factors you see contributing to this growth? Uh, and as you pointed out, uh, that was a incredibly rapid growth for us. Uh, so until 2017, we were still a very small uh, organization. So beginning of 2017, we were just 22 members. And um, today we have scaled up to being, uh, being a team of about uh, 350 members. And uh, however, we still remain um, uh, to our core ethos, which was we are going to be a boutique uh, company very focused on bringing some exceptional talent, um, which is devoted just to data engineering. So we don't do any other thing apart from data engineering. We, we Even though we call ourselves Modak Analytics, uh, majority of the work, um, almost I would say 98% of our work, is focused on the field of data engineering. And we don't even go into the analytics because I fundamentally believe that 85 to 90% of the work a company does uh, when it's dealing with data is data preparation and data engineering. And the 5% or 10% of the work is devoted to what I call data science. And more and more I see uh, when people come to me for advice, I tell them that, look, there is auto ML coming where it, it has become a computation problem. You throw a data at a computer and it's going to tell you which algorithm is the best suited to for this job uh, without needing a human. So why would you want to enter that field which is going to be automated? Of course, I might be controversial there, but that's my opinion coming from uh, what I do. Now, coming back to your question on uh, uh, what is driving our growth and what are the sectors we are focusing on. So. Our current focus has been uh, mostly working with some of the top 
life sciences and healthcare companies. And uh, what that requires is that requires a deep domain expertise in that sector and understanding of the data elements in that uh, sector. And what we are seeing very recently, especially after the pandemic and even before the pandemic, um, is that there is a massive investment from these companies to build out their data infrastructure and um, uh, developing new capabilities around the data. And I will tell you what is driving that, right? Uh, and let's take the example of the pandemic. Uh, in the pandemic, uh, that was a, I would say, a exemplary example of human ingenuity and the way across the globe companies tackle to manufacture a vaccine in record time means without data it would have been impossible so example uh, the way they uh, the sequence the uh, virus uh, the covid virus uh, they they sequenced it in matter of like under a week and then the results were published. Then people took pharma companies and every researcher took that uh, data and started uh, looking at like, okay, how, what to attack? And then they found the spike protein and then they went after it. And then we created a vaccine and hopefully um, we as uh, humankind will quickly get out of that pandemic. But that tells you about the impact the data is having uh, on these. And then what the business leaders are now pondering is, how can I take the same learnings that have happened in pandemic and then accelerate my drug development or reduce the cost of the patient care? Or how do I use the data to better um, uh, monitor the patient outcomes and actually improve the patient outcomes? And there is a, also one of the needs which is driving uh, even before the pandemic was this need to reduce, and this is actually a social need, uh, the need to reduce the healthcare cost and the cost of the medicines means uh, 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 in US it's incredibly costly, in Europe it has become costly. So how do we reduce the cost and uh, improve healthcare? And what we are seeing with all of this is there is a new data revolution even happening in e-health and healthcare space. Uh, what I mean by that, so if you think about what is happening very recently is this world of uh, IoT and sensors-based and variable technologies coming into play, and they are sending out lots and lots of data. So, example, my own dad wears a Samsung watch, uh, which gives uh, like blood pressure reading, and we can monitor his ECG reading because he is a heart patient, and uh, that. That, that allows us to like take those readings, send it to his doctor and uh, uh, do a remote care um, and uh, do the virtual care. And a lot more companies are realizing that these life-threatening chronic diseases can be better managed at home. It will reduce the cost and the data coming from these variable devices actually will help them uh, do more kind of preventive preventive maintenance as far as uh, uh, health is concerned. What that also means uh, when you look at the companies which are doing this is there is a constant flow of data available to healthcare professionals or scientists or whoever wants to use metrics like blood pressure or your heart rate or your sleep patterns and, um, and they will use this information to diagnose and treat you better. Other thing which we have seen in the pandemic is the evolution of remote care. Um, right now, you probably, um, for, for some of the major diseases, you probably don't even want to visit hospitals. And in fact, uh, the re recent re research has shown is that for some of the illnesses, you are better um, in home 
based on home care. It will reduce the cost of um, the care. Plus, it also results in a, a, a better outcome. So that's that's one of the major factors uh, driving this uh, uh, revolution. Another one more area which is also driving is this, uh, what I call interoperability and standardization of uh, the ecosystems. And this is primarily regulated by governments. What governments are now dictating, whether it's hospitals or insurance companies or any intermediaries in the space, is that they want to make sure that data is exchanged the same data of the patient is exchanged between these uh, companies and it's consistent. What that also means is that finally the patient will own their own medical records and they can now go and take that medical records for uh, uh, better uh, care and uh, uh, also uh, better possibilities, health possibilities. So they become they they have the complete control of that data, but then the management of that data falls again uh, with the insurance companies and hospitals. So that's driving more investments. Another area is which is very personally uh, very close to me is precision medicine. So this is being demanded more from a life sciences companies and. What I predict in next 20 years, based on what I've seen happening in our industry, is that in 20 years, uh, most of the medicines we take uh, will be personalized for us based on our genetic profile. Uh, the genome sequencing has become so cheap that what I believe is you'll go in and uh, um, like blood work, you'll do your genetic profile, and then you have it with you. And then whenever somebody is going to prescribe your medicine, they will look up your genetic profile, match something, and then start prescribing specific medicines that probably work for you. And this is happening. And that is, I'm very, very excited about uh, this field as well. So to, to, to kind of consolidate what I'm saying, there are some changes where we have a lot of Dilution of data coming in from variables, IoT sensors, and other things in this space. Second is the precision medicine. The third uh, is the interoperability and standardization of the data. So that's driving a lot of investments uh, in the uh, healthcare sector. This uh, new data revolution is fascinating, especially coming from the uh, IoT side of things. So the combination or harmonization of structured, unstructured, it sounds like uh, potentially data at motion at rest, um, you know, finite personal data with uh, historical records and, and you know, bringing all this together to uh, a precision medicine, if you will, decision point is 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 pretty fascinating. What, uh, what other industries do you believe may be ripe for this same pattern of, you know, new data revolution? Uh, I think uh, pretty much every industry needs to look at this data revolution and adapt to it, right? Uh, because this is happening right now. And uh, even if I want to say specific industries, I would say that I would go as far as uh, saying that if they don't really work on this uh, field um, and adapt to the new way of how the data is being processed um, in real time in streaming ways, uh, they might not persist for long. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very bold statement to say, but I think uh, companies across the industries uh, need to kind of look at what is happening and adapt to this new way of uh, dealing with information. So um, 
As, uh, as you know, Momenta are uh, avid investors in the digital industry space. And uh, I'm curious, what interesting startups are, are you seeing in, you know, especially in this data ops space? Uh, that's a that's a, a very tricky question, but I'll try to answer um, very honestly. And what I see, um, especially looking from a um, investor myself, and I'll talk about that as well, is that there's a lot of capital floating around, uh, both from venture capitalists, private equity, and uh, high network individuals. And they're looking for the next um, cycle, because when I say next cycle, what I think is we are already at the peak of exits in a lot of these um, companies, especially data-related companies or data ops-related companies. And the surplus capital is chasing very... Uh, few opportunities and looking for a new home. And in my view, um, if you're looking for a like a investment in a B2B organization, uh, which is managing data or data ops and other things, a couple of things you need to be looking at and which probably Momenta also does is the size of the market, uh, the size of the pain which you're addressing, and then the product market fit. Um, and then, the, of course, the leadership team. But when you consider these factors, um, a lot of companies have already attracted valuations, uh, especially in the AI space, and then are struggling to meet those lofty valuations which they are there. And the, the example, the clear example is the uh, C3.ai, which went IPO. And right now it is about, the valuation is one third of what the IPO is. So there is this, uh, I would just caution um, with the, um, like prudent investors like you and Momenta would caution against the hype um, of the AI. Um, so look at like what is the market size, what is the market fit, um, and how, 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 what are the pains they are addressing and whether the valuations meet those. Um, but however, coming back to your point, um, we do work with some of our partners and I think they are at a good valuation and they, they are doing some incredible work. One is Logi Analytics, one is uh, Starburst. Uh, Cloudera went again private because uh, they were public and then they uh, took them off uh, the grid and now they are private and uh, they are doing some incredible things on cloud. Uh, and as I mentioned back, uh, um, what I wanted to say was uh, I am also an investor, and one of the things I invested uh, looking at my field and how I can mentor them is a company uh, based out of um, India called Earth Technologies. And what they are doing is um, they are attacking, and they are a SaaS company, so software as a service. And what they are doing is um, they are working on leveraging data to speed up construction and transform the construction industry. So that's one industry which has not yet been transformed. And there are incredible opportunities if we go there. And that that as we speak, uh, there are some incredible innovations happening in that industry where uh, people are going like uh, prefabrications, um, um, just go and look at like, I think it's Swift pods where they are manufacturing whole bathrooms and then they come and just install the bathroom while you're constructing the home. So it's like completely prefabricated. Um, and uh, the way the revolution is happening in that uh, across the space in terms of design and also um, uh, how they're building that uh, is kind of uh, very, very uh, heartening to see. It means we might probably see houses being built in like days or weeks instead of months. 
Those are great examples. And I remember in our uh, pre-conversations, you mentioned uh, a source of pride in that uh, where uh, India has largely been an IT services provider, a very valued one in, in, in most cases. Um, you're seeing a, a move of the economy to more IT products per se. And, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, obviously you guys represent an interesting example of that. Maybe you can say a few more words, uh, putting your uh, India economic development hat on. Yep. Uh, uh, thanks for that. And what, what is happening in India is um, one of the things which is um, I'm incredibly passionate about India is the fact that um, when I moved back uh, uh, about uh, uh, eight years back to back to India, uh, I see this drive in people, uh, which I call New India, which is they want to get out of poverty. Um, and this is across the board. Uh, people who are doing like menial jobs or people who are um, Uber drivers or people who uh, want to make a difference in their life. And what they're seeing is uh, the ticket to, to, for them to get out of poverty is uh, education. And um, how how and I love companies which are investing in education tech in India, where they are online. Um, there is online mechanism of uh, teaching the kids. And one of the incredible things that has happened in India in last uh, eight nine years is this reach of technology. So you go to villages in India, they have access to like uh, what we call geo revolution. Uh, there is a, a huge Indian company called Geo which has launched. Uh, uh, one of the cheapest rates um, of uh, mobile connectivity in the world. We literally pay like cents uh, for each gigabyte. Uh, that's how cheap that has become. And what that has done is th that has exposed large amounts of Indian population to the outside world and connected them. And now they want to take up the next step. And what I see is uh, the culture is shifting in India. Initially, uh, we were projected as a, um, a services hub and there is a labor arbitrage and uh, you would get uh, services incredibly cheap in India. What that is translating now is um, more into a product innovation. Uh, so there is a lot of innovation happening on the ground and uh, products are built at scale for Indian audience and uh, India. And then these products might come outside the globe, uh, outside India, and uh, reach across the uh, globe as they mature. And uh, thanks for stating that. But we are also incredibly proud that we are building innovative products um, out of uh, India. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, and uh, it is interesting to see the um, the metamorphosis happening there. Um, certainly, we're seeing it from our investment angle as well. So finally, in closing, just you know, quick uh, question, where do you find your personal inspiration? Uh, personally, I love teaching and uh, extending that uh, mentoring people. And uh, when I teach, especially at the business schools or I go and uh, um, conduct these sessions and talks, uh, what I do is I interact with these brilliant minds coming out of Indian schools and their aspirations and uh, their take on the new age problems and they bring some complexity and uh, that inspires me. Like, how do we tackle this? Or they, they think completely different than I would think for a problem. So a lot of my inspiration actually uh, comes from teaching, which I love and interacting with these uh, young minds. Uh, the other thing, like I mentioned, is also the travel within India. Um, I was out of India for almost 15 years when I had uh, went back. Um, for me, it was a new India. And then uh, when I'm traveling there, um, uh, 
the meeting with people and how they are trying to um, build new things and uh, new culture. In fact, uh, we are calling something called Atmanirbhar Bharat, which is what it means is uh, uh, self-sufficient India or building things for India. Uh, that, that culture is being imbibed in last um, seven, eight years. And what that means is probably we will see more people getting out of uh, poverty and we will generate a lot of uh, high paying employment for people. And that is uh, uh, probably what drives me now because can I create more employment? Can I uh, foster more people to take up entrepreneurship and uh, take up leadership positions and uh, try to change um, how we see things? Well, you certainly have a good start in uh, not only being a role model, but uh, you're certainly demonstrating how that works given the growth trajectory of uh, Modex. So, Milan, thank you for spending this time with us today. Oh, great. Uh, thank, Ken, thanks for your time. It was a pleasure to uh, talking with you. As, uh, as well. So this has been Milan Chitgupar co-founder and chief analytics officer of Modec Analytics and a leader in the new data revolution. You can learn more about Modec Analytics at modak, M-O-D-A-K.com. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for our next Momenta Digital Thread podcast. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.